a broke single mom who'd been fired from Denny's go on to become America's most sought-after real estate investor. Hold on to your seats as you are about to go on a wild ride that results in you being a superstar. Dwan Twyberg, a.k.a. Wonderful, is about to blow your mind. The most wonderful real estate podcast ever promises to be your go-to podcast for everything that life has to offer. You are entering the Wonderful Zone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. I'm so excited that you're here today because I want you to meet my friend, Frank McKinney. Hey, everybody. How are you, dude? I'm right here in Delray with you. Good to see you. Yes, I came down from the treehouse, which is where I work from, which we should have done this from the treehouse. Next time. We'll do that. And we're sitting in my hometown and yours. Yeah. I just learned that Dawn's lived in this neighborhood for 23 years. I had no idea. Uh, Yeah, right here for a really super long time. So as you know, since I have a guest, this is Inside the Minds of Today's Millionaires. Now, Frank doesn't know this. I've been recording, uh, talking to a lot of investors over the last couple of months, and I've decided to make you my first guest. I'm the guinea pig? You're the first guest. I'm the human Petri dish. That's it. Well, I figured here's the deal. First of all, you got wild, crazy hair. So who can't? who doesn't love that? Mm-hmm. And secondly, if people hate investing... Inside the minds of today's millionaires, I can blame it on you. If they love it, I can blame it blame on it you. On okay, good. <laughs> and I will wait for my royalty check if they love it. <laughs> ah, so I've actually, no, you know what, though, what's really funny is I've been uh, doing, and for all of you that have already interviewed, not that you're not wonderful, but I really prayed about who my very first guest should be. And, uh, and God brought you to mind over and over and over. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to see if Frank will come over and do one of these. And so part of the reason I selected you is because I have known you for a very long time. We've been in the same circle for a long time. But I know you to be a godly man, a good family man, a good real estate investor, and you're always true to Frank McKinney. You're true to yourself. You don't change for people. You don't change with the times. You're not, you know, you just, you know what I mean? You're just mm-hmm. like such a solid guy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that because I know for a fact as you know, I've been around you I thought, what a good first guest. We'll make sure I live up to those expectations. <laughs> but you know how people can kind of, you know, eh, times get tough and some investors might get a little on the sleazy side or, you know, whatever. I just, I know that you're just like a super good, solid guy. And I love the fact that you love God, you love your family, like you, you, you have a good balance. Mm-hmm. And part of what I'm always trying to teach everybody is to also have good balance in their life. It's not all about money. Mm-hmm. I mean, money is great, but money's not everything. And uh, so I thought you would make a first guest, a great guest. So cheers to you. Cheers. I hope you're honored by the position. This works perfect with the hair color. Hey, yeah, these are just, Frank yeah. McKinney glasses. Yeah, we can't, we nice. can't have water out like a plain old <laughs> <No>. glass. <laughs> Look at us. It just wouldn't make a sense. No, we should try to turn this to wine, but it's not going to work, right? There's only one. I've got wine. No, no, water to wine. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm a lot less, and I'm a lot less exciting than I look. Uh, I don't drink, smoke, do drugs, gamble, womanize, oversleep, overeat. Water's fine with me. True. And yeah, my husband doesn't either. <laughs> that's the way we stay young looking yeah, and healthy. That's it. That's yeah. it. So cheers, everybody. Drink some Juan. So we start our, our mm-hmm. show. Wow. That is a, you guys have no idea. This glass is quite heavy. This is real, <laughs> a real deal. Yeah, man. Yeah. I had to pull out my big guns for Frank McKinney. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, yeah. as crazy as uh, Bill looks, people always think he's like, you know, draggy, all that, just like you. And Bill's never, he's like never smoked, never been drunk one time in his life, doesn't womanize, nothing. I mean, he's like the most innocent <laughs> virtual kind of man I've ever met. Like, how do you look like that? And you're like this, but he really is. Yeah. You don't judge a book by its cover. You know, I, I believe in personal branding and this is if what you see here is I actually put up a post today of myself when I was like an, a teenager. And I remember in high school, I would wear white leather pants to class. And, <laughs> you know, so I, I, when I got into business, I had a cho- I had a choice to make. Do I compromise myself for corporate America for real estate and look the part? Or do I accentuate my, essence? Do I amplify who I am and make a brand out of that? And I did that. I mean, I've been in the real estate business over 30 years as an investor, you know, I'm not a broker or anything and it's worked. You know, I mean, it's, I've built a wonderful career out of not compromising, not co-opting myself 
for anyone or anything. And that is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest. I remember the first time that, you know, you probably don't remember the first time that we met, but first time I met you, uh, you were speaking for David Dweck. Okay. And you walked in in a big old fur coat mm-hmm. with your blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And I looked at you and I thought, and that guy right there, he's got balls. I mean, <laughs> and I was like, because I was sort of on the, uh, I was also speaking, but I was very much in the, you have to look like a speaker. You got to wear a suit. You know, you're a woman, blah, 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 blah. I thought, but I don't want to do that. I want to wear wilder clothes and hair. and I don't want to wear a suit. And I was like on the verge of kind of deciding like, what? And I thought, you know what? That guy can stand up there in a fur coat in Florida with that crazy hair. I can stop wearing suits. Mm-hmm. So you kind of inspired me without knowing it to stop wearing suits. Well, I know, hated it. It's part of brand. See, there's a method to the madness and, and personal branding. And, and if you got a pen and paper or if you're recording this, take note. Personal branding is the art of amplifying your essence to the point where your customers, either current or future, become subliminally intoxicated with you first then your product or service. You're not a bottle of Coke or Pepsi or an Apple product. You're an individual. Uh-huh. And, and we're, in a, we're in a crowded space called real estate. And how do you amplify your essence to the point where your customers, the ones you want or the ones you have, become subliminally intoxicated with you first, then your product or service. That's the art of personal branding. It is. I wish I had known that earlier, but I was... Working with a mentor, helping me learn to speak, teaching me training, and telling me you had to be conservative, you got to wear a suit, you know, da, 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 da. I ended up with like 30 custom-made suits and and this really super conservative hair. And I just remember looking in the mirror one day and going, I love to speak, I love to teach, I love to train, I love real estate. I hate the way I look. Yeah, I, so you I can't of, stand it. You you that that's a very interesting. <laughs> now you're listening to this, which you are because you're watching. She felt uncomfortable being something that she wasn't. And, and that was your kind of really your inner child saying, uh, uh-uh, this, this is, I like speaking. I like presenting. I like selling all these things that she said, but she didn't like the person she was trying to become. I hated, somebody was making I hated the way I looked. Yeah. So, you know, that, that I, I had, I had a similar experience in one of my books I wrote about before I was a real estate investor, I got my real estate brokerage license and I went to try to learn real estate by selling. I was like, tw- I was one of the youngest to get a real estate brokerage license, like 19 years old. And I went to a place and uh, who was going to hang my life, was going to hang my license there. And they said, when I walked in the door, call me the wrong name. Call me Carl. Carl, congratulations on passing your test. Now, go get a suit, get a tie, and get a haircut. Dwan, I had just gotten that done. I walked in in a suit that I thought was nice. I had a tie, and I got a haircut. And the guy told me to go get this. And I, I looked at him and I said, Fred, and his name wasn't Fred because he mispronounced, he called me there. I won't be working here. And I went to 7-Eleven and I went and I bought a Slurpee and I gave the clerk, the Indian clerk, I remember, I gave him my tie. I went out and I sat on a park bench. I drank that Slurpee and said, never again will I sell out, will I co-op myself for somebody. And I never even hung my license. I didn't do anything with my license. I got it. Cheers for you, I, man. There's for the Slurpee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is about standing your ground. And so I remember, I mean, it was like 20 years ago, and, you know, everybody is in the suit thing, and, you know, you got to look like a speaker. And I showed up at an event, and I had on uh, jeans and, like, a super rock star blingy, blingy shirt and my hair. I dyed my hair black and big earrings, and they were like, you can't speak in that. And I was like, this is what I'm speaking in from now on. So I had people that would start writing in their contracts. Dwan has to wear a suit. She won't be able to present. I was like, if I have to wear a suit, I'm not coming. So after I canceled some places and said, well, then don't have me. I don't care. Then they were like, okay. And then now, do any of the women wear suits that speak? Nobody. They all wear wear what they want. If you're comfortable in a suit, wear a suit. But but remember the part I said about it is amplifying your essence. What sets you apart is the part that you've got to bring. And if if what sets you apart is wearing a suit and being concerned, that's great. You know, I, I it, it didn't work for me and it didn't work for Dwan. So so spend time either with the mirror, looking in the mirror and answering that question, what what is my essence? What what is my personal brand? What can I amplify that's gonna set me apart? And if you can't answer it to the mirror, get a little focus group together mm. and ask that person, what makes me different? And I, what I don't want to hear is customer service. No. I take care of the customer. No, no, no. You need to find out if it's something physical. I remember I, I coached a lady who was an opera singer, beautiful opera singer who wanted to get into real estate. And I said, her name was, uh, 
Cynthia, I'm not, Cynthia, last initial M. Cynthia, you're going to sing at your listing appointments. You're going to sing when you get to the door because her voice was, and we put, we printed her cards, the operatic realtor, operatic realtor, <laughs> killing it. Ten years later, this woman is killing it because of that little branding piece that we That's took. That's so you know? neat. That is so interesting. Yeah, and what a neat thing to do. It really makes you stand out. It was her thing. It was her essence. We amplified it, yet she didn't want to be on a stage singing anymore. She wanted to sell. She loved real estate, and she we, we made her a little brand. <laughs> wow, what a neat idea. So for folks that don't know you, tell them a little bit about your... All that you do so many things. I mean, we could talk for two hours about all the things that you do, but give us, you know, like the five minute what's who is Frank McKinney rundown? Well, for, for this hour, I'm here to help you, you, the listener, you, the viewer. I'm here for you. It's not about me. It's about having Juan and I have a conversation that would qualify me to take an hour of your time. So, to give you my qualifications to take an hour of your time, uh, I'm from Indiana. Just a corn-fed country boy, oldest of six. I came to Florida with a $50 bill and a one-way plane ticket when I was 18. Uh, went to four high schools in four years. Had no benefit of formal education. 1.8 GPA out of high school. I landed in South Florida. And at the time, the program Lifestyles and the Rich and Famous was on TV. Now, for these young people, you have no idea what we're talking about. I love that show. <laughs> but it, it, for young people, it's like MTV Cribs, if you remember that show that was on TV. So it's the voyeuristic look inside the Lifestyles of Rich and Famous. And I would watch that show at night in my little apartment as a maintenance worker on a golf course. And I got to see people living it by day. I'm from Indiana. I'm from a corn-fed little town in I'm Indiana. I'm from Ohio in the country. So you know, when you come to South Florida, it was a big awakening. I'm like, <laughs> I want that lifestyle. How am I going to get it? So I went from a maintenance worker on a golf course uh, to a tennis instructor. And I was making hundred grand a year as a tennis instructor at 21 years old, going into communities that were just being built in the late 80s, the Sea Ranch Club, the Boca Marina Yacht Club, the Sanctuary, oh, yeah. big money clubs. And I ran the tennis programs there. And at that time, I was making 50 bucks an hour. So you can do the math. 50 times. That's so much money back then. That's like, and that's before the IRS existed. That's like, oh my hint, God. Hint, <laughs> I didn't know anything about taxes. So, so that's 100 grand a year pre-tax, post-tax. Oh. That's why I was able to buy a Ferrari when I was 21. But yet, there was a limit, Juan, to how much money I was going to make on that tennis court. Yeah. I have friends that are still teaching now in their mid to late 50s that are maybe making you know 10 grand more than we were making back then. I earned my PhD in entrepreneurship and my master's in real estate on that tennis court asking rich people, how did you get here? How were you able to afford this multi-million dollar house? You've got the beautiful car in the garage. You've got a beautiful wife. You've got 2.2 kids. you got a yacht out back. How did you get here? You're living the lifestyles of Richard Famous, and I want it. Exactly. And I got to asking these people. So I would tire them out after a one-hour tennis <laughs> lesson. I'd tire them out in 45 minutes, so they couldn't finish. <laughs> and they had to sit ah, next to me. and I devious mind. Well, I no, it was it. the only way I could earn my degree on the tennis court. I and love and it. they shared with me, Frank... I was a doctor, I was an inventor, but I took my discretionary income and I put it into real estate. Now, when you hear that story once, it's just simply entertaining. I heard it over and over and over again. Nobody's a born real estate investor, right? That's right. We are made. Yeah. And these people were, you know, doctors and all these other things, but they they were living in the multi-million dollar house because of the real estate investments, not because they're doctors. So you heard it for years. I heard it for about a year and a half before I finally said. One of, one of my students said to me, Frank, why don't you do it? Like, why don't you buy a little crack house, a little foreclosure? And so in 1980, <laughs> I didn't want to say, I bought my first crack house uh, and it was 1987. I bought it, sold it for a $7,000 profit. And to me, it could have been monopoly money, meaning my concept was validated. Like, I didn't care. I made seven grand. I bought an undervalued commodity. Let's say this is a paper cup. And I turned it into a beautiful, you know, crystal uh, cup. I was validated for buying a, a buying a, a, a piece of crap and turning yep. around and making money. Yeah. So I did. So for those of you who are just new to the business, I did. I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand for five years. Yeah, that was about my price range too. Entry level homes. So yep. since the Roman era, the entry level buyer and the ultra wealthy have been around. You can make money. Any time in any market at the entry level and at the high end level, because there's always going to be wealthy around. So I did I did a bunch of transactions. I did hundreds of small transactions. And then in 1992, we were early for church because I missed the time daylight savings time. We're driving down A1A and there was a house on the ocean. 
is was this the this, uh-huh. this was this was I me mean, and Nilsa, my wife, who I've been married to for 30 years, driving and saying, honey, this has two weeks of uncollected newspapers out front. It has two months of uncut grass. It has broken windows. It has everything that a crack house had in the bad neighborhood, but it's on the ocean. It's on the beach. Why can't we do what we've been doing for five years? All we're doing is adding one zero to the purchase price. One freaking zero. So we were paying 70 grand for at the most for a house. This was 700 grand. I sold everything. But that's a big step. I didn't, in, nowhere in between. I jumped from you know, 100 to, that house was 2.2 million when we got done with it and sold it, made a little bit of money. Actually, I got greedy and I held out and I made a mistake, but we made a little money. That was in 1992. I just retired from creating oceanfront artistry, which is what I do. I design, I build on the direct oceanfront, on speculation. We've sold 40, our last sale was our 44th oceanfront investment with an average selling price of $14.5 million, all on speculation. So I, you did 44 of those. 44 oceanfront transactions. Now, <clears throat> 38 houses and six were like flips, land deals that I didn't uh-huh. I didn't build anything on. Uh-huh. But they were all on the beach from 92 until 2020. 28 years, that's all I did. Yes. And so, you know, the, the lesson there is the real estate was the path, right? We did we, my first house. I sold for $49,900 and I made seven grand. Uh-huh. My last house wasn't my most expensive. I did sell a $50 million house on speculation that had 32,000 square feet, 30 bedrooms, 24 bath, no, 24 bedrooms, 30 bedrooms. And that a house is beautiful. It's a massive house in Manalpan, uh, the three uh, acres. Yeah, I saw all the videos and you were doing an open house. I was like, ah. Why am I not in Florida right now? I want to go see this house. I mean, so it it it's really it's kind of like a postage stamp in real estate investing in real estate. If if I were to mail Dwan a check for whatever five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars, or five hundred thousand dollars, that same stamp would deliver the check, right? Investing in real estate, what my approach to a fifty thousand dollar flip or a fifty million dollar mansion. Yes, it varied with the finishes and the level and the marketing, yeah, but course. the concept is still the same. Yes. It doesn't matter. What matters, what changed for me and what has to change for you, and I wish I brought my new book I'm writing called Aspire. We're going to talk about that because yeah. that is the culmination of my life is you have to – there's a whole section in that book that, that talks about embracing fear and dealing with the side effects associated with taking a risk. I was inherently a risk taker. And so for me to jump from that $50,000 house to a $2 million house and to a 10 and 20 all the way to a 50, embracing risk, embracing, and that's that's kind of a throwaway statement. Let me rephrase that. Fear is associated with the thought of taking a risk, not the actual taking of the risk. So that's a really good point. Think about it. It's the thought. And that's what stops everybody. Every because so 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 you're thinking that's a little out there, Frank, a little esoteric. Get simpler for me. Okay, get on a get on a roller coaster. When you're on a roller coaster and that bark hops down on your lap and you're ready, you're going clickety clackety up the hill, what happens to your heart? It's pounding. You're terrified. You're wondering, why did I do this? Oh, I want to get out of here. Why? <laughs> it's the thought about what's gonna happen. What, I love roller coasters. But what happens when you go over the top? Fear goes away. Joy, excitement, excitement. exuberation. Adrenaline. I'm gonna, adrenaline. Crazy. Let me get to the back of the line and do it over again. Exactly. That's what you got to do with your real estate career. You've got to take that first step and realize that the fear you're feeling is only the thought of taking a risk. Once you take the risk, the fear goes away. Yeah, that's exactly true. One of the things I teach all my students is I say, listen, I know, I know your first deal, you're so nervous. But once you do the first deal, it's like, I say, I promise you, something in your mind happens and it gets easier. And, and so everyone right. says the same thing. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they do that one deal and then they, they call me and they go, well, I don't know what I was so worried about. It wasn't that difficult. Like it's, it is, it's the no, thought, it's the fear. It, it's it just is. the thought of it. And for those, remember what we just said, you're not a born real estate investor. So, so you're doing, you're a nine to five or in some form. My nine to five was a tennis instructor. People ask what? Weren't you terrified doing a $50 million spec? The answer was, yes, I, you know, fear is a good thing, and we can get into why it was a good feeling to feel fear. But my biggest risk, my biggest fear was that first $50,000 flip That's because it. I gave up a $100,000 tennis teaching career. Well, true. And bought a crack house and used my own money to do it, and that was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm holding <laughs> – no, picture that I'm a tennis instructor in Florida. <laughs> I'm holding a beautiful woman around the waist, teaching her how to hit a forehand and a backhand – 
I mean, my life was good in yeah. these places. And I gave that up to buy a crack house that was so I mean, if you've been into a, a crummy house, you've, you've oh, been yeah, to yeah, share, yeah. there was so many termites, cockroaches, and rats running around that when I opened the front door, the whole header collapsed into my big 1980s hair back then. <laughs> and my eyes were covered with wings of termites. <laughs> like, I couldn't see. I couldn't smell anything. Well, what I smelled was horrible. <laughs> I gave all that up, all that tennis stuff up for this. But, Dawn, as you meant, you know, like, your risk tolerance is like a muscle. So, uh, mine's a little... Well, my wrist tolerance is huge, but my muscles a little. <laughs> and imagine going to the gym and exercising this as your wrist tolerance. Eventually, it gets stronger. Yes, it does. And able to withstand greater pressure. Yes, it does. It does. I always tell people <clears throat> when someone brand new is like, "Hey, I want to be an investor," and you know, they tell me all this. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I always ask people. I say, you know, a scale of one to ten, one being low and ten being off the chart. Where is your actual risk factor in mm -hmm. life? Mm -hmm. And some people go, "Oh, you know, I'm like a three or four. I'm conservative." And I'm like, well, you know, you got to think about real estate investing. It's not, you can't ponder a deal for a month because another investor will get it. And if your risk factor is really low and you're terrified to lose money, da, 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 you're probably not going to really enjoy the actual activity of real estate investing. And the people that are like, oh, no, I'm like eight, nine, ten, I'm, just, I, I'm ready. I'm going to jump in with both feet. I find that people like that do better. Because their risk factor is higher, and they know if they fail, they learned a lesson. Right. Instead of like, oh my God, I failed. It's the end of the world. I have to quit. But my my hope is that people watching that are the threes, the twos, the threes, and the fours do it anyway. No, you start out in the gym with a five pound weight, don't you? You don't start with a fifty pound weight and curl it. You start with a five pound weight. So you start with a very small investment. You will eventually move from a I call it I call it the risk continuum. Where on the risk continuum do mm, you fall? I love that. And, if, and some people are afraid to get out of the bed in the morning because the ground's too cold, and other people want to, you know, jump off a building and parachute. Where in there do you fall? And, and I think inherently most people are like three, fours, and fives. It's okay, but exercise your tolerance for risk, and you'll move up the continuum. Exactly, and that's one of the reasons, folks, that I have people like Frank on, and and why I do the podcast is to teach you and educate you, and especially this section inside the minds of today's millionaires. Is so people can see what what is it in in Frank's brain that said, okay, I'm gonna buy this fifty thousand dollar house and go for it, versus the people that are on the fence, on the fence, on the fence, on the fence. And part of why I educate you all every week is to help you have enough knowledge and enough education, and then be exposed to enough people like Frank to say, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. I got nothing to lose because the thing that you lose if you don't do it, I think, is you're stuck nine to five all your life. And, and I feel like you lose a piece of your soul. Yeah, so that... Can you imagine still like 9 to 5, you're teaching tennis now at your age, that's what you're still doing? I, I like, mean, wouldn't you feel like the soul would be sucked out of you? If I, if, I, if I loved tennis, which I love tennis, I love teaching tennis, but if that was my passion and that's what I still wanted to do, then I wouldn't feel that way. But I knew, talking to those people that I was teaching tennis to, who were living the life that I wanted, because when you're young, you're materialistic and you're consumeristic. Yeah, I've you moved on. I am now, I've moved from rich to enriched, and there's a big difference between the two. I want you to talk about that because I love that statement. It's, it's so true. So, but when we're young, we don't know different. We want a Ferrari. We want you know beautiful wife. We want a house and all that. And I realized that tennis probably wasn't going to give it to me for my yeah. whole life. You know? Yeah. And real estate, because I saw people living it. It did it for them. Yeah. And, you know, why Why can't it do it for me? Why can't it do it for you? Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know uh, how much you know about my initial first deal, but I I actually got fired from Denny's. Do you remember the Denny's down at Oakland Park Boulevard, the big Denny's in I'm Fort sure Lauderdale? I, there. I yeah. <laughs> Well, you were down around the same time. Mm -hmm. So you were probably clubbing, going to yesterdays. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I was working in Denny's. And I got fired on third shift. Third shift. And, and then I've been, I got fired from a bunch of jobs in my 20s, and every single person says you're insubordinate, you, you give all the owners and bosses too many ideas, you tell people how to do their job better, and I was already like, you know, if you just said this and this and this, this would run better. And telling people how to run their businesses, I was like, they said, so people did not appreciate all of my knowledge, and it's not even that I had the knowledge, but I was able to look and see and go, well, if you just change these couple things, you know, you do better, and your business, and da, 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 da. and anyway, I got fired. Too much back talking, apparently, but I then I got married, I had Ayla, and so now I'm 30 years old, and my ex uh, and I split up, she was only eight months old, so I thought, okay, now I've got eight-month-old baby, so I can go back and get a job, 
Or I can try and do something on my own. And if I fail, I can go back and get a job. Mm-hmm. But even, and now granted, now I'm 30, so I didn't start as young as you. I'm already 30. But I was smart enough at 30 to know that if I took that job, I'd probably keep it till she was 18, mm-hmm. which would put me at 50 almost. Right. And I thought, wow. And then I thought, yeah. if I try something on my own and I fail, I can still get a job. Yeah. And so my my biggest fear was daycare because I thought, hey, I waited till I was 30 years old to have a child. I don't want to raise her in daycare. I want to raise her. I want to be that mom. I want to be the room mom, the Girl Scout mom. I want to do that. And I met a couple of investors and they go, yeah, we fix up houses. We buy them and fix them up and sell them. So with me being as naive as I was, and these were my only exposure, I thought that meant decorating. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to decorate it, and I'm going to sell it. I love to decorate. That's what I'm going to do. So with about three lunches with these two guys and that little bit of advice, that's why I took my plunge. Mm-hmm. Never did I have an idea what rehabbing actually meant. Never. It didn't even occur to me I'd fail. It didn't even occur. I thought, well, I love to decorate. I'm a great decorator. I won't fail that. I mean, shoot. I love to decorate. This will be a breeze, easy way to make money. I made 22000 bucks on my first deal. Well, you did three times Boynton, as good as I over did. Over in Boynton Beach. <laughs> but it changed my life because at that time, I was like, I've never had that much money. I've never seen that much money. I'm from the Midwest. I don't know anyone that makes that much money in a year. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm rich. I can't believe it. And Ada was with me every day, and boom. And so I would move into them, rehab them, sell it, and move, and move, and move, and move. And uh, then eventually when she started kindergarten, I was able to stay and I lived in Boca for a while, you know, ended up here. But I I didn't have a, even a thought of failure because I didn't understand the terminology. I didn't understand what I was doing. If someone said, you're going to fix this house up and tear out the kitchen and put in this and appliances and do the roof, and I would have been like, well, I can't do any of that stuff. I mean, who am I going to get to do that? Right. So I ended up at Home Depot every day taking classes. And I rehabbed my first house by myself. No, you did the actual yeah, work. Yeah, I wow. did the actual work. It'll be late in bed at night. I'm screwing in cabinets. I'm making screens. That's impressive. I'm cleaning. I'm doing it. And, I mean, you know, I had to hire the carpet, a few things. But I painted it inside and out. I mean, I did everything. I even pressure washed a roof, which was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and I pressure washed a swimming pool that was full of spiders, which was super terrifying because they got in my hair. And I made that money, and I was like, wow, that was fun. And I loved it, and I made so much money, I'm going to do it again. And and that was it. But I think you and I kind of started in some of the same areas. So I started over in, like, Boynton and up in West Palm. and Yep, Northwood area, West Palm, Northwood. which was, now it's on fire. Well, I'll give you a good example. Right here in Delray Beach, uh, we did Banker's Row. Banker's Row wasn't Banker's Row. Most of you people don't know where that is. But but picture, like, a crack row, crack house row. We were buying houses in downtown Delray Beach for, you know, 30, 40 grand. Uh, I bought a, a real nice one for uh, 75 grand. I liked it so much. My wife and I moved into it when we got married in 1990. That house that I bought for 75 sold for 250 back in like 92. Just sold for 2.2 million dollars. Wow. I mean, j- just to show that you know, yes, we had I gone Rip Van Winkle for 20, 20 years and woke up <laughs> on that house, I could have sold for two million dollars and not done anything. So, but but what Dawn's speaking to, and this is something that I hope you're tuning in, you're you're, you're focusing on. We are going to have regrets in life. There's no such thing as a life without regrets. Wouldn't you rather regret what you did, not what you didn't do? So in other words, if she got fired from Denny's, got a new job, then said, you know, I don't like this. I'm going to start real estate. And it didn't work out. But yet she tried it. She would never have known had she not tried it. And she went back to the job and, you know, lived happily ever after with daycare and, and her kid turned 18. I have regrets in my life, but I only, I only, I never want to regret what I didn't do. Yes. I just, I should, like, eventually you and I, our combined age is 120 years, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, 100 of it's on his side. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm 20 and 29 and I'm standing there. (laughs) But when we're sitting on the rocking chair on the front porch talking about life, I don't want to say I wish I would have done that $50 million spec. Yes. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did other projects that didn't make money. I've lost a lot of money. I lost lost tens of millions of dollars during the crash of 2010 or whatever. Yeah, that crash was tough on everybody. But I was in the game. Yeah. I wasn't on the tennis court. I was in the game. That's what you got to do. And even after the crash, you stayed in the game. I didn't. You know what? And the reason I stayed in the game, Dwan, is because there's another lesson for you real estate investors. 
Debt is a four-letter word. Debt in our house as a speculator who puts tens of millions of dollars on the line is a four-letter word. The F word and the S word can be spoken, <laughs> but we don't say the debt word because be careful. Now, there's responsible debt and there's irresponsible debt, and we don't have time in this podcast to get into the difference, but I made sure I didn't take on too much debt, and uh -huh. the debt that I did have wasn't at a super high interest rate. Uh-huh. So that when the crash came and I had to hold on to things a little bit longer, yes, I lost a lot of money, but I didn't lose everything. I didn't go bankrupt Yeah. because of my reverence to debt and my fear. And, you know, it's funny. I know so many investors. It was funny. I, you know, people hire you to be their coach or their mentor, and they're supposed to listen to you. And we knew the crash was coming. I mean, you know, all the interest only loans, like any sane and real estate investor knew it was coming. And we told hundreds of students, listen, you got to you know, get out from underneath your houses or get some of them refinanced or consolidate. You know, like if you have 50 rentals, how many can you sell to pay for the rest? Like get ready for this thing. And so many of our students listened and, and really prepared and did really well. But a lot of people were like, no, no, no. I heard, you know, I'm going to refinance and pull equity out and keep buying stuff. Prices are going to be low. But I know one guy that lost like a hundred rentals and his own house. Mm -hmm. I was like, did I not tell you? It's because what of one to simple do? word, agreed. And he's like, yeah, but I thought I could get everything cheap. I was like, yeah, but all no. the prices fell, the rent fell, this fell, that fell. Right. And he's like, I don't know. And I said, well, listen, here's the good thing. I said, you literally had a hundred rentals, so buy a hundred more. Do it again. Do it again. Right. But then. See, people get the fear factor. Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, no, but no, once no, you've done no, it once, no. you can learn how to do it again. I mean, how many people have been successful out there that we look up to that have been bankrupt before? I mean, it happens. Yeah. So you've learned. But the point I guess we're trying to make or yeah, we're both making it is if you're doing something else other than real estate, once you learn the craft and it is a craft, by the way, it's not a business, the craft of real estate, you will have your ups and downs. You're going to lose money on some deals. You may lose a ton of money, you may lose all your money, but you'll know how to do it again. So I gotta tell you a funny story. You'll appreciate this. So um, Sharon Restrepo, she was my partner uh, back when I first started. We were together for about ten years. Now, so Sharon and I, we were, we had done a couple. I had done a few rehabs. She'd done a few rehabs. We started working together. So we, when you said this earlier, it made me start laughing. We bought this house, and we walked in, and there were bugs everywhere. So we're just like, you know, pushing the bugs, thinking, well, we're just going to tent this house, you know, whatever. And as it turns out, this was my first experience with termites. The house was so full of termites. They were flying around all over the place. And for whatever reason, we missed getting some sort of an inspection or something. And I mean, the trusses in the roof, the whole house, the cabinets, eaten to death by termites. And this is a house we were going to make something like $40,000. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to make forty grand. Well, by not knowing about the bugs and the termites and what it costs to fix all that, that was one deal. I think we made 600 bucks. No, they didn't lose it. And we were like, well, we didn't lose anything, but it was months. But, you know, six months later, when you get a $600 check, you're like, <laughs> yeah. seriously? I just put in, like, all that money. And I thought, well, okay, we didn't lose, but it was a good lesson. But that, how long did that take you? Oh, my gosh. It was like a six-month deal. Six-month deal. So if, if you were in college, that's one, some, one year, basically, of college. <laughs> that's about 50 grand that you would you would pay to learn how to do something. They still, after six months, got paid $600 to learn a tough lesson. <laughs> so why not get in the game? It was. And I bought a house one time that had uh, fire damage. Well, so I thought, okay, you know, they, the bank fixed it, replaced all the stuff. And I remember leaning, standing up and leaning on the wall. So you're really going to kind of stand back and assess the house. And I fell through the wall into <laughs> the other room. I was like, what? And all the drywall was like powder. On the water. From the water damage. I didn't know about water damage. I only knew about fire damage. So that was another good lesson. So I, it's just funny how all these things happen, but you know, you just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, okay, so this house has got, needs a lot of drywall replacement, but it's okay. I made less than I thought. So there's a lot of deals too where, you know, I don't necessarily like lose a ton of money, but there's a few deals that I basically did free mm -hmm. <laughs> when it was all said and done. But I never let anything set me back. I thought, okay, just add this to my list of stuff. Don't do it again. Right. And then you learn like, okay, get more checklists, get more inspections, get more this, get more that. And you just keep going. Eventually your margins increase because your, your intellect level increases. Yeah. It's been a long, 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 knock on wood. It's been a long time since I lost any kind of money on a deal. So...
Uh, but I chalk that up too. At this point, I've got 30 years of experience right, as well. Experience, right. And so, you know, so now, um, so to get people like it, I always like to find out what people were like before, like before you were Frank McKinney. So like 15, what was 15 year old Frank McKinney doing? I was, uh, where was your mind? What were you doing? You know, it's funny because we, if you're watching this and you have a young kid, um, and you're concerned because they have poor grades or poor attention span and you're thinking that they have ADHD and you want to put them on medication. Thank God my, that wasn't around when I was young because I guarantee you I had or have ADD, ADHD, mania, you name it. I had it all when I was younger. I see that as a gift. I see it as a blessing because even though I went to the four high schools in four years and got balanced from one to the next. Ended but were you balanced because – I, I just you, the attention span so wasn't there. Just, like I, all over the place. I got horrible grades, not because like the grades oh. that. It, Sorry, there's my principal calling from my <laughs> high school. Uh, Frank, no, yeah, no, he's a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's good. You still teaching? How's that going for you? <laughs> what, what I what I what I what I realized was when I, even when I was 15, I realized at some point in my life I'm gonna I'm gonna want to count money. So I did really well in math, and I I learned early that. If you write this down, write well, comma, speak well equals well-respected. Mm. And so I did very well in my English classes and I've written seven books and six genres. So I love writing. Everything else bored me. And so, so, and I, and I had little enterprises on the side that I was making money that was an illegal way to make money and got caught a few times. And, and that bounced me from one event. Should we ask about that? <laughs> well, I mean, I was, in a, I was in a boarding school in Colorado that I absolutely loved. Uh, I, I love this boarding school. Matter of fact, to go to class and go to like the equivalent of 7-Eleven, I, I would ride a horse. Oh, and tie wow. it up out front. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh my god, that's so much fun. It was my junior high school, and and that taught me independence. I remember calling my parents on Thanksgiving, saying, "I sold my plane ticket. I ain't coming home. I love it here, and I I just love being around." <laughs> the thing about sending, if you if you do have a kid that acts up, don't <laughs> be careful the boarding school you send him to because he will or she will be around people just like them. I was shipped to a boarding school with a bunch of people just like me, which was a huge mistake <laughs> because of how we kind of just thought the same way. Exactly. And I got kicked out of there with a couple months to go, and I, I was heartbroken. I wrote a letter saying, I will change. Please allow me to come back for my senior year. They didn't allow me to, and I ended up graduating from another public high school in Indiana. Had I graduated from there in Colorado, I would have never met Nilsa. I never would have never come to Florida. I would have probably still been in Colorado. So We'd be neighbors there, too. Yeah, yeah, right. It probably would have been. But I, I just feel that, you know, those formative years when you have children, um, don't worry so much. It's what I and I do talk to parents that have troubled kids. Uh, how how did you raise them between like the ages of one and seven or eight or nine when their formative brains are really taking hold? And my parents did a great job. So I eventually got that phase behind me. Mm. And what caused for me to do that was taking out the metaphorical eraser of life, turning around to the chalkboard of life and erasing what was and getting on that plane and coming to Florida at 18. I was nice. too many. I was in juvenile detention seven different times. And by the time I was 18, I knew it was jail next. Right. So there's, oh, yeah. there's no more juvenile. And I, <clears throat> I, my parents said, they call me Mickey, Mickey. Yeah. I think it's best that you leave and you go to Florida and you kind of get your act together. I just never came home. I mean, literally one way plane ticket. And I have been home, of course, to visit and stuff. But that was, that was when it. I was 18. Yeah. Yeah. I came when I was 19. And who wants to go back to Ohio or? I know, grew up in, in, in Ohio. They had the blizzard of 78. Yes. I went sledding in that. Okay. So we had that. I was yep. working. I'm a couple of years older than you. So I was working a job and I was the blizzard of 78. And that year I wrecked my car twice. I fell on the ice. I cracked my head. And I said to my dad. I said, literally, I said, when this shit melts, I'm moving to Florida. He goes, oh, you won't do that. And I said, no. I'm, or you won't last. You'll you, come for a week you'll and you'll come, come home. And he says, you'll come home. He yeah. did. I was like, you know, and so honestly, in June, like everything melts. I was like, listen, I'm going to go to Florida. So I came to Florida. I said, I drove my car. I said, I'm going to go stay a few weeks and see how I like it. I went right down to Fort Lauderdale. I rented a little efficiency. I got a job waiting tables and I stayed. And so every That's few months, thing. my parents were like, well, when are you coming back? I'm like, no, you don't understand I'm staying. Yeah, I'm staying. And then now, you know, I ended up with half my family moving down, <laughs> including oh, my mom and a whole bunch of people. And my sister lived here for a while. And there's a bunch of people ended up moving down. I was like, listen, 
I'm not, there's nothing for me in Ohio. I'm going to get a factory job, live in the snow. Like, what am I, you know, what am I going to do there? Yeah. And now, granted, I came down, I turned uh, 21 in 1980. So, you know, the 80s were fairly wild. I thought you were 20 and I was 100. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was, uh, I was at the, working in the nightclubs, the cocaine, the champagne. Like, I was all in on the crazy life uh, at 21. But when I got older, I had my baby settled down, you know, I, I think, I don't think I would have ever been mature enough to do real estate before I had Ayla mm -hmm. because I was too much uh, club scene and partying and oh my God, this is great, you know, because you're know, coming from like Indiana to Fort Lauderdale, it's like, holy cow, Fort Lauderdale is amazing. It was, but it, we, you and I were on our own though. And there was no, like, I couldn't fall back on my parents. You couldn't fall back on your parents. No. We had to get mature yeah. fast. And, and I, there's a saying I live by even to this day, sacrifice today for better tomorrow. Sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. Even to this day, I sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. And I, <laughs> I sound like a walking quote machine, resist temptations because they <laughs> suck the life out of progress and success. They do. They do. And so <sighs> I, like Dwan, we're both a lot more exciting than we look. I, I, you know, that nerd in cheap's clothing, which is what my <laughs> wife calls me, uh, is, is, a, is a result of being disciplined, of, of jettisoning off things that were bringing me down that were causing me to to self-destruct i started seeing a therapist about five years ago which i wish it was 15 years ago and uh -huh. she says frank you have an addiction to excitement when it, when i told her about my past yeah, and all this stuff i actually agree with that well but there's if for those of you who are watching this and, the, and for you and your kids i found a destructive outlet for that addiction to excitement from the age of about 13. Coming to Florida, and it wasn't Florida, it could have happened anywhere, but when I changed my environment, I found a constructive outlet for a destructive tendency. Uh -huh. When we just talked about, I build houses on speculation and sell them for $15 million without a buyer in mind. You better believe it's like putting a needle in my yeah, arm and getting exciting. Yeah. I found a constructive outlet. I didn't have to change. I never freaking... oh. Frank, Mickey changed. He said, I'm the same guy. I just found a constructive outlet for what put me into a destructive environment when I was younger. That's all you That's all you need to do. If you have that tendency and your kids have that tendency, find a constructive outlet. Don't change. Redirect, reignite, and rewire what's already inside. I give commencement speeches at a lot of uh, treatment facilities. I've never been in one you know, for treatment, but I go and I'm asked to speak at one. And that's what I tell the people leaving that day. You're not going to change. You have a little synapse in the brain that says you're addicted to drugs or alcohol. That ain't changing. Use it as a gift, though. Yeah, Use it as a way to happen. redirect that into something yeah. constructive. The challenge for somebody leaving treatment or someone like me is trying to find that constructive outlet. And thank God I found it because I would have been dead. Yep. You know, it's funny as, as I hear you talk about that, Bill... <laughs> My husband is very much all of those, like ADD, ACD. He's very much like that. Like every report card he has says, Bill talks too much. He can't keep his hands to himself. He's disruptive. Just every single thing. But he found a love of real estate and he loves the rehabbing. We actually sort of bought a town, about 14 buildings in a town. So he's you know, taking all his extra energy and you know turning these old buildings into like just Beautiful. In Colorado? We're in Iowa. Oh, Iowa. In okay. Iowa. So, I am so sorry, folks. I thought I had my phone off It's off. Bill calling, saying he's not that ADD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Why are you selling me under the bus he, here? He is. He is. He is. He is. And uh, so, but if he doesn't always, always have a project, he's so unhappy. Yeah. Totally you got to be engaged. So, he, so, for him, like now we're restoring these old buildings back to the way they were like in the late 1800s, you know, the early 1900s. Cool. So we're doing, he's like all in on restoring. And I thought, okay, Good. he's got 14 buildings. That'll keep him busy for a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> Before I have right. to find something else for him to do, because right. then he just like paces around. He's like an animal. And we happened to be down here when COVID started. 
And, you know, there's no projects down here, really, because the house is nice and down and everything. I thought he was going to lose his mind. I was like, dude, listen, you've got to find something to do. Or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Like During gotta, COVID, that was hard to do. <laughs> <you gotta laughs> oh, have COVID something. Thing. So why don't you tell me about, because you just were talking about um, this mindset and inspiring stuff. Tell us about your, your new book and your new venture. Oh, so this book. It sounds uh, like it's going to be It's the best. It's, it's really the culmination of, of, you know, what I've learned over my career and also I left during COVID my treehouse and I did a 6,300 mile pre-release tour interviewing Americana for information in my book. So the title of the book is Aspire, single word, Aspire with an exclamation point, how to create your own reality and alter your DNA. As I look back, I realized, okay, I have lived in my own world that I created for myself since I was a very young person. Yeah. And and the other thing, okay, so that's me. Great, Frank. I, I can walk the talk. What's unfortunate nowadays is how I'm witnessing your reality created for you by someone or something else. And I call it one of the one of the sources is the screens. Screen number one, screen number two, your computer screen, screen number three, the television. And and other people's input into your life. So I I work from a treehouse and I work alone. I per I've been in my treehouse almost 20 years. I create my own environment. And I have not been to that treehouse yet. Right so I'm calling you out here on my podcast. You need to come, we should have done this house. in your treehouse, my treehouse. Oh, it would have been great. Next one. Fine. We'll do the next one. Yeah. When the book comes out, the book will be out in a couple months. Okay. So I want you to, again, think about, think about that title and that subtitle. Let me get into the title if I could. I'm going to bring yeah, it yeah. down. I, I definitely want to hear about it because I've been following the whole story. It's, and, it's, and it's really what, if, if, if you, so why aspire? Why not motivate, Frank? Why not inspire? Because of the following. Motivation washes off and goes down the drain with soap at night. Mm. So if we as a species, and I have science in my book to back it up, but if, you know, F science, this is something that I know from just my own experience and Dwan too, motivation does not last. It was never meant to last. We weren't meant to stay motivated. That's why we beat ourselves up because we can't stay on a diet. We can't stop. We can't go to church as much. We can't stay in the Bible. We can't. It's a it's a maddening cycle. And and the more we fall off the motivation wheel, the tougher we are on ourselves. True. Mo so motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap at night. For me and for you. So quit beating yourself Everybody up. Everybody needs to write that down because that is so true. Then then we move from motivation to inspiration. So have you ever read an inspirational book or watch an inspirational movie and you're inspired for about two weeks? Yep. Inspiration lasts about as long as a bad sunburn. In other words, it dissipates after a little while. Motivation goes down the drain with the soap at night, gone. Yep. Inspiration lasts about as, bad of, as long as a bad sunburn. Aspiration will alter your DNA. And in my book, I take the reader through these exercises to help them identify what legacy do you aspire to leave behind? Who do you aspire to emulate? What do you aspire to do this time next year that you can't even comprehend right now? That when I aspire, I aspired to be a handful of things in my life. I wanted to be a real estate artist. I am. Yeah. I wanted to be a best-selling author, although I never went to college and I had a horrible GPA. I've written seven books in six genres. I wanted to run a charity in the poorest country in the world, Haiti. We've built 29 self-sufficient villages in Haiti know, in, in the last that. 17 years. I wanted to run the toughest foot race in the world, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which is a 135-mile race through the Death Valley Desert in summer in 120-degree heat, nonstop. I converted my mind first and my body into an ultra marathoner, and I wanted to have a family. I want to have a family and stay with that family because mine was kind of you know busted up a little bit. Right. Five things in my 20 years out of our 120 years <laughs> <laughs> that I, I accomplished through aspiration. And so that what I, I want the book. Well, I don't want the book. The book will be much. It, it's a it is a mindset book, uh -huh. but it's one that teaches you how to apply aspiration to create your own reality, because, you know, the reality that you work, you work in, that you've created for yourself and you've built. No, no. Mo, very few people can relate to that. You do it. You've done it. And it's a beautiful. She just walked me through her house and told me how she lives here. It's a fantastic reality. And ultimately what it does, guys is it changes your DNA. Yes. So if you watched, and I want you to, this is not my line. I wish it was my line. If you, And I'm not a big movie buff, but if you watch the movie Rocket Man, which was the story of Elton John. Yes. Elton John was born Reginald Dwight. His 
manager turned to him and said, you must kill the person you were born to be to become the person you want to be. Think about that. Kill the person. You, so I was born into a family of bankers. I was supposed to be a third generation banker. My grandfather was a banker. My dad was a banker. When I was young, I kind of dressed like a banker. I'm like, no, no. I killed that person when I got on that plane at 18. Yeah. And became what you see right here. I wanted to be a real estate artist. I wanted to, 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 to express myself artistically. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I can't sculpt. I'm starting to paint, but I'm not very good. I want to do it three-dimensionally. So, so kill the person you were born to be to become the person you want to be. That is so wow. life transformational. It is powerful because I grew up in Ohio and graduated high school in the 70s. And at that time, my parents wanted for me to go get a job and work in a factory and work for the man until I retired. And I was like, so I got a factory job. I worked there for three weeks and I thought, oh my God, if this is my life, seriously, Lord, just kill me right now because I can't do this. And that's what you happened. killed it. You killed the person. It's it's very graphic, but it's I very true. I killed the person. You told you, she was born. <laughs> not, people mistake this. I was born to be in real estate. No, she wasn't. She was born to be in a factory. She killed that person and became the pink-haired Dwan Twyford who is a, a real estate goddess. She became, she wanted that and became it. So in my book, Aspire, I want in that creating your own reality and changing the DNA, I am no longer the, the person that I was born to be. I have now become the person I want to be. And that's I what I want for you. That. God, I love that. I love that. It's true. Yeah, I killed that factory worker girl. I was like, oh no, hell no. Who would, why would, and I remember thinking, why would my parents want that for me? Right. Why would they want me to work in a factory for 40 years? Just because they did. They hate it. Why would they even want that's me all to they do knew. that? That's all they knew. You know, and they, they like, wanted the best for you, and that's all they knew. But but the part people have a hard time gra grasping is, wait, no, but Dwan was born to be a real estate investor. No, she wasn't. She mm -hmm. was born to work in a factory. I was born to be in the banking business. I... If that's what you want, then of course you're great. You were born to do what you want to do. I was born to do something I didn't want to do. And she was born to do something she didn't want to do. She killed off that person, that character, and created her own in the form of your real estate empire. I love that. So for someone watching, they're like, oh man, Frank, I hear you, I hear you. you know, I'm doing whatever. I really do want to be doing this. How would somebody, like, really, because you're talking about an entire shift, shift. of yep. mindsets that could have been passed down through generations yep. at this point. Yep. You know, generations. So how, what is the first step a person first would step, take to be like, you know what, I'm going to do what Frank said. I'm going to, I'm going to kill off this person over here. I'm going to become this. I don't know what to do first. Okay. So I'm going to make it real. I am a, I'm a, even this book is about being very simple. There's no stress. There's 25 chapters. But if you take something home from just one chapter out of all 24 and you throw the rest away, great. Chapter one. And if you follow, well, you follow Dwana Social, follow me. Um, They'll follow you. How um, do they find you? So just go to on Instagram. I'm the Frank McKinney. Um, Clubhouse is the new thing. We're on there. We're, you know, Facebook. I just put up a post today. And this is going to air next week. So go back and look on, you know, like a week before, right? Uh -huh. Okay. And it talked about the first step, and it's, this is fun. Who do you aspire to emulate? Whose footsteps do you aspire to put your foot in and kind of absorb a little bit of their DNA into yourself? Mm. And I look back and I, and I posted my, some of my um, people that I emulated, that I looked up to. They don't even have to be real people. I loved Willy Wonka growing up. I did too. <laughs> I wanted to be him. I loved Wonder Woman. <laughs> you get to be her. Yeah. You absorb some of her. Into, you are Wonder Woman with for real estate. I am. Thank you. I will accept that compliment. You are. And and I wanted to be when it came to people asking. I've been interviewed on, you name it. I mean, I've been on Oprah twice. But you name it. I've been there. They've asked, what's the best book you've ever, the best business book you ever read? And I said, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And they're like, what? That's the name of Willy Wonka, right? Yeah, Before of course. A movie. Wouldn't you want the brilliance of Willy Wonka? Look at the the intrigue. Look at the frenzy that he created. Look at the marketing genius that he created. 
the the exclusivity of visiting the place and the golden ticket, and he's a billionaire. That's a brilliant mark. So I thought, wow, when I get older, I want to be him. I want to absorb. You come to some of my grand unveilings. They're very, very Wonka-esque. I mean, there's a are. lot of that last one was. Oh, I hated it. I missed it. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, so, and I, I, I also aspired to be Robin Hood. Like I would play in the woods with my bows and arrows with my friends, and imagine I was Robin Hood, and I wanted to steal from the rich. Guess what? I'm a modern day Robin Hood. I've built villages in Haiti there for twelve thousand eight hundred children. I don't steal from the rich. I sell to them. But there's people at three thousand dollars a square foot, you know, think that I do steal from the rich. <laughs> but I, I take the money and we go to Haiti. We build self-sufficient villages. So that little piece of Robin Hood I absorbed. That's the first step. Who do you? Now those are fictional characters. I have I have real characters of Rob, uh, Rich DeVos, which is one of my mentors. I looked up to. Um, so do that exercise. Well, you know, if y'all don't know who to emulate, start with us. We well, can start with Be her. like Frank. Be <laughs> like me. Take the step. Know that, you know, you have a better life. Raise your risk factor. Take the plunge. Jump off that bridge. Do it. If you don't know where to start, you can start right here. Start right here. But that part, when you say, wait a minute, I'm like you just said, this has been passed down from generation to generation. How do you break the cycle? Start to find out who you look up to. Who you and, and for me and, and you didn't go to college either, and I'm, I'm uh -uh. understanding. It was me on that tennis court teaching these people. They were no names, like they weren't, you know, like celebrities or anything. They were rich. I aspired to have that lifestyle. Yeah. I want to absorb you into me. How do I get there? And ultimately, it was real estate that, that taught me taught me how to get there. So that's the first question. Then once you've kind of made your list of people you emulate, this is a little deeper, and this should take time. What legacy do you aspire to leave behind? That is a very important question. If it's a if it's a beautiful tomato garden and that's all you want to do, that's great. If that's what you want to do with passion, for me, what I build on the ocean, these beautiful mansions, will be rubble someday. They'll be dust. They'll be torn down because not because they were built crappily, because the land underneath them will render the physical structure obsolete. <laughs> the value will just keep going up. The legacy that I aspire to leave behind is what we're doing in Haiti. Like those, that's generational impact we're making yes. on, the, on these families. One, so that those two simple exercises, who do you aspire to emulate? What legacy do you aspire to leave behind? And the rest you'll have to buy the book and read because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more in there. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to read this mm. book. I follow, you know, you know me, I follow all your stuff. I love your bad water races. I always envision you you know, crossing the bridges on A1A, dragging that tire. I'm like, Frank's a nut. And Have you ever seen me out there doing that or no? No, oh. I've never actually, no, but a couple of times you're like, hey, I'm going to be here and there. And I've actually tried to catch you a couple of times and I never have. I was like, well, one of these days I'm going to catch him and be like, hey, want some water or something? Yeah, yeah please. Come on, man. <laughs> right. But I, I just love, uh, I love how you share and you share your passion and you share, you know, your relationship with God and your family and just all the things that you do because, so many people don't. Right. And people that do want to aspire to do better, they do need to have people to look up to, but they need guidance. Like, how do I do that? Yeah. You know? So like, the, is this oh, is this legit, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're getting we're ready to wrap. So, so, so can, getting, I wrap, can I give a wrap thought before we go to the Bible study? Well, uh, that's a separate I know. thing. But I first of all, I want you to give us the... Uh, so at the end of every podcast, you all know... Oh, yeah. We do uh, a life equity and the five equities of life. And this is just something I created where I feel like, you know, it, what does it take to make a whole person? And we all have different aspects in each part of our life. And I, I find for for me, uh, and I'll probably for you too, the way your mind works, um, it's easy for us to get out of balance. With too much going on, we focus too much on this or too much on that or too much on whatever. And so the five equities are uh, financial, spiritual, physical, mental, and family, and pretty much everything falls under your family, your family, your friends, your, you know, whatever, your physical, you know, your mind, like pretty much our life falls under a category. So I always like to give an assignment and have people work on it for a week. And if I say, hey, if this, this assignment helps you, you feel better, like do it for two weeks or three weeks and make it a new habit. Mm -hmm. And so first I want you to give us our, I'm going to have Frank give us our assignment this week. Okay. So I'm going to make a statement then I'm going to give you the assignment. Okay. Um, the statement is, and I'm not meaning to contradict one, but our lives were never meant to be in balance. 
we as a as a human being as a species we're not meant to be in homeostasis so quit beating yourself up over the fact that sometimes i have to give more attention to my real estate business when dawn was raising her daughter she had to she was her life was totally out of balance but it was fine because she was raising her daughter or she was pregnant her life was out of balance I've never imbalanced. I'm sorry. I don't believe no, in balance. I, I, I get what you're saying. So I don't think I mean like just like it's all got to be perfect all the never. time. But I feel like people, especially people that are new investors or they're like, it's just all about, well, when I make money, then no, that's right. I'll do this. Yeah. No. Okay. And it's like, no, you can't wait till you make money to be charitable or to right. take care of your health. You have to take care of everything. Like stop waiting for the goal yeah, this, to start the right, thing. Right, because you'll just keep pushing the goalpost down. And then next thing you know, you've got a ton of money and like you're right. sick and your family relationships are terrible and you haven't talked to God in two years. Right. So I'm talking about that kind okay. of balance. Like keeping it, you know, just not getting so focused on this this point or the destination, I guess, that the journey's a mess. Right. So we wouldn't be able to say that 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Oh, right? no. We're qualified to say that. Oh, no. Lord, no. So your homework or your, your what is it, a life... A life equity. A life equity assignment is as follows. Uh, in the Bible, there's a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48, that says, I'm going to paraphrase it, to whom much is entrusted, much is required. Oh, I love it. To whom much is given, much is expected. As you focus on your own issues, your own challenges, your own troubles, your own future, COVID, whatever's on your mind, I will challenge you to share each one of us listening to this, watching this, has been blessed with the ability to succeed at some level, but those blessings were never meant for your sole benefit. They're meant to share with others. So my challenge to you is for the next week, at least once during the week, if not every single day, find an outlet for you to go and share your blessings with someone less fortunate than you. Go to the local soup kitchen, volunteer for an hour. Drive around until you find somebody holding a will work for food sign and ask them their name. Don't give them any money. Give them a gift card to Starbucks for $5. That way you know they're not going to buy drugs with it. You can go to a retirement home if they'll let you in and, and volunteer there. You can go to a hospital. Take, do one act where you are sharing your blessings with someone less fortunate. And you'll understand this, and it's the last section of my new book, how you can put together your professional highest calling, which is what you do for a living, you know, real estate, mm -hmm. with your spiritual highest calling. And the mistake that I made, and maybe the mistake that Dwan made, was I didn't understand there was a spiritual highest calling. I oh, knew no. the professional side. Not in the beginning. Now I know that what we're building in Haiti, for example, gives my life purpose, gives my gave my career purpose. So if you're not religious, don't let the fact that this to whom much is entrusted, much is required, bother you. It's a great life mantra. If you are religious, it's a Bible passage having to be a great life mantra. <laughs> Go out and live it. You have been entrusted with a lot. Yes. And I'm not like Dwan said, it's not it's not just treasure. It's the first two T's, time and talent. Time, talent, treasure. Go share the time. Go share some of your talents before you even think about sharing your treasure. For a week, you're going to feel like a different person. And then it's going to start to put together and dovetail your professional and your spiritual highest calling. I love it. That is a great life equity. Yeah. So, folks, listen back, pay attention, and do that. You, you can even go – another example I did a couple years ago. I went to my <clears> local <throat> utility department, and I went there, and I watched people come up to pay their water bill in person. Uh -huh. And I just sat there, and I would – Jump in line and say that you know I could tell this was a lot of money you know like this is a big payment this oh. pay their bill or do the same thing now that you have self checkout at Walmart go you and this is profiling yes it is profiling not hard to do you can tell with somebody who have the screaming kids and they need some help jump in front of them as they're check ready to put their credit card in the self checkout pay for their groceries what a great thing to simple, do simple simple it's easy I actually have done that many many times pay for the the groceries of the person behind me because you're like you. You just know. You can see you can, it. Look see on it. their face. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, I've been there. <laughs> take care of it. I, I, I've been there. And you move there. on. Oh, I love it. Okay. What's your final parting word that we want people to... First that, of all, That was go, actually going to be it. That was it? That okay. passage. So it was perfect. <laughs> I, it is perfect. So uh, at, on Instagram, you're at The Frank McKinney. The Frank McKinney, yep. And Facebook, is is it Frank McKinney? Yes, Frank McKinney. Just put it in. You'll find me. You'll find him. And uh, his website link will be in the... Um, oh, yeah. Let me tell in them. In the words. Theaspirebook.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theaspirebook.com. 
Theaspirebook.com. Uh, you will be able to see the trailer, which very few books have trailers. We made a trailer that I invited you to come to at 2 a.m., but you were scared, or what did you say? I surgery. Oh, yes, yeah, surgery. You had to come. We, we filmed scared. the trailer. I was laying with my neck cut open. Like, look at that. I was like Captain Hook there. Come to, come to, or go watch the, go to theaspirebook.com, and you'll see um, the trailer for the book. You'll see the outline for the book. You'll see when the book's going to be released. And then while you're there, you can go to see other stuff. Like my website has been called Disney on a desktop because the stuff that you can see. I love it. The houses we built, the Haiti projects, my running, you know, all that stuff. Uh, Frank-McKinney.com, theaspirebook.com. I love it. Well, guys, I, yay, let's give uh, two thumbs up for Frank. It's really been a pleasure having you on the call. You are very inspiring and very motivational. And I want to thank you first for coming. And I'm just really proud that you're my first guest. I'm I feel honored. like this really sets the tone. I hope for... so. <laughs> but the big flop is because I hope you don't go off the air in one episode. <laughs> like, oh my God, that guy, what was that about? Was, he was really bad. No, <laughs> you're wonderful. And I, I I appreciate you and all your effort. And I really love the fact that you share and your heart's so good. And you, you do so much for other people, which is what I always tell people. Yeah, do for others. Do right. for others, you know. So, all right, guys. So. Uh, we'll be here next week, same bat time, same bat channel. And remember, the truth is in the red letters. All right. Ciao, everybody. Wow, wow, wow. How much fun did you just have? You listened to the most wonderful real estate podcast ever. Hey, do me a favor. If you love just one thing about the show, if you laugh, if you learn something, leave a five-star review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Don't forget, next week, same bat time, same bat channel.